Hi guys, thank you for joining today's episode. I hope you're all well and safe. Today we are going to have an amazing time. My goodness. Today we well I had the pleasure of having an amazing interview with my friend and colleague Isaac Aboa. Isaac talks a lot more about who he is and what he does in the episode. But what what you might want to know about Isaac is that he's someone who is very driven towards making solutions happen and using innovation, you know, to drive solutions. And you see that a lot of a lot of the time in the episode. I must add that we really pushed for this episode to happen because a lot of things were almost against us. But we, well, I said there was nothing going to stop me from, you know publishing this episode so please uh, um, accept my apologies if the sound is you know somewhere at some point of the episode I really had to share this because it was so good it was so good I didn't want to you know discard the information so I hope you find value in today's episode always give me feedback via my Instagram um, at T-H-E D-S-A-G-B-E-N-Y-O. And let's chat, share your, your thoughts, your questions, and connect with Isaac via LinkedIn as well. He gives you the he gives us the link or the name, his full name on LinkedIn. So you can hit him up and ask him more questions. Thank you and enough of the rambling. Let's go inside. Hi friends, this is Sacho. Welcome to the Ambitious Africans Podcast where you and I inspire Africa's brightest and youthful change leaders to be their most authentic selves whilst disrupting what the world knows about the continent. If you don't know who I am, I'm a development worker in the entrepreneurship education space. I'm a content creator slash copywriter and a hashtag DIY sewing tutor. Smiling face. And I hope today's content gets your answers. To share feedback, hit me up on IG at T-H-E-D-S-A-G-B-E-N-Y-O and let's chat. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So Isaac, tell us about yourself. So my name is Isaac Renoabua and I'm an entrepreneur. I guess I can call myself that now because I am trying to start my own venture. And the journey towards entrepreneurship started when I came to the university. Because as far as I could remember, I I envisioned myself getting a lot of money, but I never envisioned myself actually starting a business. Mm. It was not clear in my mind enough that I wanted to start a business. I remember when I was in high school, I wrote the SATs and I wanted to school abroad. And in that time, what I was thinking about was probably being a doctor or something like that. But not like your conventional doctor. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because up to now, I am still fascinated by the human mind and how people behave. And mm. I can say I was daydreaming about how people behave in a particular time or what they decided um, to do with their time or why they acted in a certain way. I am still very fascinated about that. And so that fascination, that fascination led me to wanting to do something in neuroscience. Mm. Um, but of course, that opportunity was crushed opportunity to go abroad even though I had a lot of um, I had offers to go it didn't really happen because of a lot of troubles that mm. I guess and when I came to the university I just allowed myself to take the the chances that I had 
Mm. Um, that was presented to me through the struggles that I went through because when I came to the university, I I struggled to pay my school fees and other things. And it just meant that I should find alternative ways to um, to just make myself valuable so that I could get money or something like that. So the first thing I really did was um, a program mm. that was um, with with people from the UK. So it was a different, different and mm. um, founded a program. It was called Challenges Worldwide and I took part in it. And I got an opportunity to work on a business. And I think mm. from that very moment, after spending four months working on a business, basically helping the business grow in all these aspects and getting to know about it, I just feel like I could do this and this could, um, Give me value, and when I came back, I, I just started a business. That was my first business in level two hundred called Mr. Smoothies, and we we're selling juices and popcorn mm. and um, smoothies on campus. Yeah. Wow. So I, I get the sense that for you, because you didn't, you essentially did not have money, you wanted to make money to support yourself, right? Yeah, that that was part two, and. I am someone who doesn't like to be idle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that combined with that, I took the opportunity to do it. And it seemed like it was going to be challenging. And obviously, I like a challenge. So yeah. I, I involved myself and then I took the opportunity to do that. And I didn't have any money to start. I just had an idea and I wanted to start. And somehow I made it happen. That is quite fascinating because... I, well, I would like to really dig deeper in what your considerations were, especially if you did not have money to start. For most people, they would say they don't have money to start. And so even though they want to make money, they don't have money to start. The, the prime excuse, if I may, or explanation of people saying they don't have capital to start things. But then you decide to take risks and see what came out, came out of it, if, if that's what you're saying. I would like to know... What, what considerations you know influenced some of these risks you took with your first business for example if when you knew you didn't have money i think that risk itself is something that i, I would almost say it's a gene because i've seen mm-hmm. other people who are very risk averse but mm-hmm. i i tend to jump into risks all the time i tend mm-hmm. to jump into very risky situations where like at the tip of the ocean where you're almost falling into the water and when you're almost getting yourself sick, I tend to like situations like that because I feel like they challenge me to do my best or they challenge me to utilize my resources to get the best out of situations. And what happened was that I didn't have any money. And this is like true. I didn't have any money. I had an Mm -hmm. idea. I spoke to a very good friend of mine and I convinced Mm -hmm. him and he used all his money that he had to start the business with me. And yeah, like basically any money that I got, I also used the money. And at the point when I when I was giving money to pay my school fees or stuff, I, I delayed the money and I used part of it. So I basically used every money that came to me to start a business. And I didn't think about the repercussions because I was willing to make it work enough so that I could re- recruit that, um, accrue that money back. And would you say it was all worth those risks? I mean, 
for sure you you should, i'm sure you you had situations where your your finances you know suffered or your money sank in some bad deals and you know would you say it was all worth it i think that i think that one of the things that people underestimate is the value of failure um mm. i once read an article where i was trying to make an argument that failure is going to come to you no matter what Mm-hmm. So I would argue that you should literally search for failure and embrace it and like entangle yourself in failure and learn from it mm-hmm. now than later because it's going to come anyway. But when it comes the second or third time, if you have experienced it the first time, you are you have um, the experience. And so when I see people who have been in very comfortable situations, I ask myself that what are they going to do? when they when they when they face adversity and yeah. i think that was one of the things that i did that i was very proud of that i embraced the failures then now then at a time and um i consumed myself in experience i allowed myself to feel i allowed myself to worry i and all of that um i allowed myself to embrace the the difficulty that came with starting a business and mm-hmm. i think that it has served me well because when I zoomed into it and when I took a retrospective look at it, I could say, this is why I was wrong. This is why I was wrong. And that is what happens um, with business and especially other things in your life. That yeah. you have to feel, get the knowledge out of it, and then you, you hopefully learn from it enough that you do not replicate the same mistake. And it's not as if that when you do a mistake for the first time, it might not happen again. But I feel like if you are prepared enough from the experience of your earlier failures, you can you can form a better strategy towards um, the right path to go. And, yeah. and that's what happened to me. I yeah. I failed. The business didn't necessarily become a great success. They have some success, but mm-hmm. we we eventually had to quit because of um, capital intensive nature of the business. Um, we we the, it would have become successful. Um, and sustainable if we, for example, had a place on campus that we could sell, but that was not possible. We had to buy stands during hall weeks and go out for programs and pay a lot of transportation and pay a lot of money for the stands, and that was not very sustainable for us. But we did have, um, we did have, a, we did have some success with it. That's the place that I knew that I was a, a salesman, or mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know whether I knew I was a salesman then. Or mm-hmm. I made myself a salesman then, because there was not a single time that I was present when the when our Jesus and Swedish were so that we didn't get everything sold. I mm-hmm. I I could walk twenty minutes away from where the thing is, go and call someone, walk them back, and then walk them back again just so that they could buy juice for five cents. Mm-hmm. That and that yeah. I I think I think that is very profound. The fact that you threw yourself into this experience where you were just open to seeing what was going to happen. And for most people, they want to do that because, well, they want to do that from a, a, a place of plan B, that, okay, even if this doesn't work, I'm going to go back to focus on full-time schooling, take money from my parents, because they have those real safety nets. But you don't seem to, you didn't seem to have that. And particularly for me, I have found your ability to take such risks, you know, 
in, in the spur of the moment, very fascinating. But then what I have observed about you is they're usually calculated. And I think maybe for, because you, you are what a nano microsecond risk calculator or whatever. And so that helps you. But what would you say to people who do not have the muscle of such, you know, experiences or they haven't gained such, you know, the, well, yeah, the muscle from such experiences where they have experiences to fall back on to say they once were in school, they, they started these things, it didn't work out. But because of the skills they've honed from those experiences, they are going to attempt new things. What would you say to somebody who has no experience at all? They just finished senior high, went straight to university. University, they stuck to their books, made good grades, came into national service, finished national service. And now they are at this point of they don't know what next. And now it's like they have to throw themselves into an unknown situation for the first time ever. What would you say people, you know, people in that situation should consider some of the considerations to have in those situations? I will say to those people that they have done that before. They just don't know it. They have done it before. They mm. did it when they were given birth. They came to the world, didn't know how to walk, and then they tried to walk and they fell so many times that they eventually yeah. just fled down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody has done that before, but the thing is that when you when you are growing, mm-hmm. uh, you said something about maybe being a nanosecond risk taker. I think that's a very interesting way to put it. Mm-hmm. I am able to calculate things in my mind very very fast. I don't know how, but I, I think that's one of the the gifts I have. I just I just can look at the situation and say this is wrong, this is right, intuitively, and yes. it is wrong and it is right at a point. Yeah. So and I don't have to do a lot of thinking. No, and not everyone will have that. Maybe that is something that is natural, but I think that these are skills that you can hone in a way. But mm-hmm. going back to the experience of walking, mm-hmm. every kid took mm-hmm. their first step and fell, and then yeah. they rose up. But yeah. I feel like maybe at that time, because your senses are not heightened enough to your environment, you mm-hmm. don't, and you don't remember those experiences. Perhaps you, you didn't feel like this, um, this climb, this mm-hmm. fall was a big deal. But now, because you are seeing everything else around you, and then mm-hmm. perhaps the the the, the social um, yeah. the social yeah. narrative that might that that might come with people critiquing you or criticizing you for doing something wrong, and all other factors, you you look at it and you say this is too much of a video. But you mm-hmm. have done that before, and the only way you can do that is to mm-hmm. again embrace that part of yourself and do yeah. it again. Put yourself mm-hmm. in a situation because. When it comes to experience, there's definitely just two ways to learn experience from the other people's perspective and from your own perspective. But what I have seen is that even if you have the benefit of looking through the lenses of other people's um, perspective vicariously, mm-hmm. what you don't get is that every experience is different and unique. Mm-hmm. And there are nuances that you do not get to see in their person's narrative, in the person's yeah. style of that, how it happened, that when you experience for yourself, you will see it also differently. So I mm-hmm. always feel like when we say experience is the best teacher, I think that lived experience yourself is the best teacher. Best teacher, yeah. 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 And that, that brings me to my next question about, you, you mentioned honing skills, right? And for most people who are in this sport of literally, like you described, almost jumping into the ocean 
and not knowing what's going to happen next, right? For, for, for most of them, most of, the, most of my listeners are those people who are going to do that for the first time in their lives. And so they would want to know like practical steps in navigating that decision and what to look out for while doing that. So I would really be glad if you can touch on those things. So you can, you can mention some of the, you know, like un unpacking those nuances of making that decision of, for example, either starting your own thing like you are doing or putting yourself out there to the unknown of possibly getting a job even when you, when, when you apply or not. And all, all those, you know, experiences of being out of control. What are some of the practical steps to consider some of the nuances to assess and all those things with your own experience? I think the one of the things that business has taught me is that you have to de-risk every situation that you be, before you go into it. And I understand. Jumping mm -hmm. into the ocean is how we might use the metaphor, but I don't think the metaphor is correct enough. Okay. I would say jumping into the ocean when you know that you can swim, for example. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, because when you jump into the ocean and you can't swim, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. But here's also the catch. The catch is that when you are going into those experiences, you may not always know whether you can swim or not. Yeah. But yeah. what you have to do is that you have to learn as much as possible how to swim and then just do it. Mm. You, just have to, you just have to learn as much as possible. Like What I do when I'm going to start into a new venture is that I try and reassess and look at, read, talk to people and all of that. And... I make up my mind that this is something I want to do and I do it knowing that it could succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. I think most of the time, one of the um, things that inhibits us from taking those steps is that we, we overthink the possibility of failure. And that is very, very okay that you overthink the possibility of failure. How do you mean overthink? As I, I like, we are over exaggerating the possibility of failure or underestimating it. I would like yeah, to yeah, like we are we are we are over exaggerating the possibility of failure, mm. and which is fine because for most things you are going to fail. But mm. that is the reason why you should actually do it. The mm. fact that you are going to fail is why you should do it. So I think that people say they are not going to do it because they are going to fail, but the mm. reason you should actually do it is because you are going to fail. You should mm. not do it because you're going to succeed. Because I think that success has this kind of um, sweet nectar to it yeah. that prevents us from taking the respective outlook of what could have been better. Most of the time mm. when we succeed at something, we are like, okay, we did it, what next? But when we fail, yeah. we are like, okay, what can I learn from it? And mm. we do not ask ourselves the same question when we succeed. So I would rather I fail, especially when it's a new thing that I'm doing, than succeed mm -hmm. because then I would be motivated to ask myself what I can learn from it. Yeah. I don't know if I can give a schematic framework of, of how to go through. I think, I think you mentioned one for me. It was that, like I said, you, you are really good at assessing situations quickly. And what you mentioned was that you speak to people to hear their thoughts and opinions on it before, they, before you make a decision. But then you are able to get that done very quickly. The, and 
I think that's what most people do not even ex- explore or exploit the opportunity of really assessing the situation and then still choosing to try it out, even even after people have shared their opinion and they it might not be like what you are expecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I agree with that. I think that most yeah. people stay in the planning stage or the the, the the stage of analyzing the situation for far too long. Yeah. Um, and the action that comes to it um, yeah. is rescinded because of the fear of whatever fear that it might happen. But yeah, the point is that you have to take the action anyway. And yeah. I have met a lot of people. Myself, I have the inclination. Naturally, I have the inclination to want to wonder in my thoughts. And mm. Because I enjoy the thinking process mm-hmm. far than I enjoy the doing process. But I've had to mm-hmm. teach myself. If you know me, you might think that that is not true because I have had to teach myself that if I can actually get anything done, you have to move from the stage of making a decision to the stage of taking action. And yeah. I have learned to do that unnaturally. Mm-hmm. That 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 um, has the natural inclination of just taking action. I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I I really really enjoy to and analyze things and keep on and keep on and keep on. But that I mean, doesn't I, get anything done. So. You have to break the break of taking a decision and yeah. making it happen. And yeah. you, you need to do that as fast as possible. Yeah. With as little information as possible. You seem like someone. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You really seem like someone. Maybe let me let me sound that and say maybe you read psychology in school, but you, you seem like somebody who has really assessed your your skill sets. You know, you know which ones come to you naturally. You know which ones you had to learn. You know which ones you had to, um, I don't know, apprentice, if I may. Like you have, you have a better grasp of those of those things about you. And that's one thing I would want us to, you know, d- you know, dig deeper a bit in, in, in skill sets, right? For especially for our student, um, our, uh, our listeners who are recent graduates or recent national service personnel leaving their service years, right? For most people, the the idea is they don't have skills. They don't have enough skill sets. And that's even for people who are now entering into national service, for example. They don't feel like they have enough skills. What would you say are some of the skills, even the naturally occurring skills that are really relevant at the workplace or even show themselves um, to be valuable at the workplace that we often under underrate. I want us to begin from there before talking about the technical skills and the soft skills and all that. I would I would like to zero in on the fact that you were saying that I have self-awareness. Um, a lot mm. of people have told me that and they mm. seem surprised, which my reaction is, I am surprised you are surprised. Because I do not understand why, I do not understand why that should come as a surprise. I feel like one, mm. of the that we, one of the things that we miss out of ourselves is the knowledge of ourselves, right? Yeah. And it's always surprising to me that a lot of people do not know about themselves enough. For example, when someone tells me in a setting that I am talkative, it doesn't come as a surprise to me. But mm. I also know that I'm introverted. Mm. But of course, people may not also agree with that. But I also yeah. know that I do not have patience. And I know mm. that I'm making a journey towards um, getting patient 
And I know exactly where I am and I know where I started the progress from. I think that mm. you have to spend a lot of your time evaluating mm-hmm. your actions every single day and every mm. single time. Um, yeah. I do not know if everybody's thinking pattern is that way, but I have a thinking pattern where every single day I spend time and I evaluate every single decision that I took and I know what could I have done better and what happened in that split of second of decision-making that made me make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I learned from it. I don't know if everybody does this because you yeah. know, usually we don't take a lot of our thinking patterns or what's happening in our, in our minds, but that is something that happens to me. And so I am constantly aware of where I am in my growth process. So I, I think that people should spend a lot of time asking themselves the right questions that, who am I? Mm-hmm. What skills do I have? What are my weaknesses? And mm. even if you cannot do that intuitively yourself, I think that you can ask people that you trust that can be very honest with you that yeah. go around, like basically take a survey and go around and be and ask people that what are some of the strengths that you naturally see about me that makes me different from all the people that I have? And let them write it like in an essay from you. And yeah. I believe that when 10 people write it, 10 people who are going to be honest with you, by the way, when they do mm. write that in clearly written language, in an mm. essay, let's say 200 words mm. essay about mm-hmm. you and from your experiences, you are going to find similarities in that mm. and you can do that about your weaknesses. And I think that's the point because you have to do a self-assessment and get a baseline of where you are as an individual because before you can um, eventually add on those skills. And whatever they say is your strength, is your strength most of the time. And mm. those strengths you can utilize anywhere that you go, anywhere yeah. that you go, including the workplace. So I'm, I'm not willing to say that there are particular strengths in the workplace mm. that would benefit you. I feel like everybody's individual strengths can be leveraged for the workplace one way or the other. You know, yeah. I was speaking to um, this young guy. He's just 22 years old. He owns mm-hmm. a, a company that is doing very well. And he told me that one of his employees is not doing so well mm-hmm. technically, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not able to let him go mm-hmm. because he's the one that is keeping their team spirit, basically. Mm-hmm. He is bubbly and lively mm-hmm. and everybody likes him mm-hmm. and people enjoy to work with him mm-hmm. and people get more productive when he's around. Mm-hmm. And that is a funny thing. But the fact that this guy we are talking about is just a nice, chill, bubbly person is getting people to work. Exactly. And that is not something that you might ascribe as a very <laughs> prominent skill set for the workplace, right? Yeah. But it works. Yeah. So a lot of people are succeeding in their um, career life, not because of some extraordinary skill yeah. but they have yeah. allowed themselves mm. to leverage that so i like to i just like to you know put myself in the situations yeah. where i am constantly assessing this and yesterday i was assessing this person i don't know if i have to because it was more like i was talking the person mm. because i just like to learn from people that mm. way. so i don't want to put the person's name out there yeah. but there's somebody who was working in um, uh, an hr field mm. and and quits her job and then started a business that is doing very well, very well in Ghana. Mm. And from everything that I could study from her outlook, 
and she does something that is related to food. Mm. What is great about her is not the ability to cook because I don't even think that she can cook. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but I don't think she can mm-hmm. cook. But what is great about her is that she's she's just a people person and people like to be around her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a very, very underestimated skill, for yeah. example, in the workplace. Yeah. The fact that people want to be around you is how she has mobilized, um, mobilized sorry, yeah. a lot of people yeah. around her. And, yeah. and that has basically worked for her. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I think it's... She has leveraged that experience to get people to work for her. Yeah. And the people that started working for her from day one, even after years of the, the entrepreneur experience and hardships and all of that, they are still there because they just like her. Yeah. I think that is something that if if anybody just started listening listening to this episode at any point and is wondering what we have been talking about, this is one of the things I really want us to leave with our listeners that what you may consider a skill in your eyes depends on the situation at hand, right? So, working with you, I've I've realized that most of the time when situations come up and we need things to be done, you are always, you know, quick to bring on board people or skill sets that you believe can solve the situations that we have. And pretty much you are considered like a connector. I think um, for most of the time we worked together, it was known around the office that, okay, Isaac is a connector. If you need someone to do something for you and do it well, you should speak to Isaac. Now, that wasn't really, I don't think anybody could literally say they are a connector and then be understood the way it actually pans out in real life. And no one would, not many people would even consider themselves that as a skill even though they might be good at it so my question now then is how did you become this person and did you know it was a skill that you were going to hone um, as much as possible so for that particularly i don't think that i always knew i had it Mm. i just have been i think it's it's a mixture of choices and chance Mm-hmm. I think I've been lucky enough to have been involved with people who are very good at whatever craft they are. But mm-hmm. I've also been very conscious at aligning myself with people who are mm-hmm. naturally up there in their craft. So I think mm-hmm. it's a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. And I proved to them that myself as an individual, I have some value to offer them mm-hmm. so that they can come to me and say, if I need something to get done, let me ask Isaac, especially at things that I do myself. Mm-hmm. But then reciprocal, um, but then I can reciprocate that to mm-hmm. them as a favor and say, hey, I need so, um, someone to do this. Can you help with that? Or a friend of mine needs to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think I have just formed a community of people around me who mm-hmm. are generally And I try to ask myself that in my cycle, um, in my circle of friends, what mm-hmm. kind of relationship or contact or network mm-hmm. or connection am I missing and I make a conscious effort to feel it. I am actually that conscious about it. I ask them, do I have a lawyer friend? Do I have a doctor friend I can fall on when I need something to be done? I ask myself these questions and then I go out and go and find somebody like that. So when wow. I am when I am when I'm going for a program, sometimes mm. 
there are like 200 people there and I go and speak to just one person. And it's not because, and I'm not the most social person as programs. And it's not because I want to be social. It's just because I need them to be my friend because I have that kind of gap in my relationships with people and they are good enough. I have done background studies on them. I've literally mm. told them so much to know that they are good enough to show that gap. Like, let me hold you on there. Like, you've said like five deep things without even knowing. So the first thing you've mentioned is the fact that you're conscious about the, the, the network you're building around you. The second thing is that beyond building this network of amazing people who are skilled in their crafts, you are also looking to give back or exchange your skill set in the network. So it's not only that you see your network as um, people you can fall on, but you have also committed yourself to growing your craft essentially so that they can also fall on you. The third thing you've also mentioned is the fact that you are so conscious of your network in in knowing what you need in that network. And it's not literally like from a selfish point, like you are so conscious of the, of, of the people you are building around you that you can literally tell that you need these people. You can literally find a loopholes or the vacancies, if I may, in your network. Now, the fourth thing you have also mentioned, my goodness, this is so good. The fourth thing I've mentioned is the fact that you do you do not necessarily you do not necessarily see it as a skill set. All these things are not something you necessarily saw as a skill set, but just growing it's it's something that you have considered, you know, being friends with people who are skilled in their craft and that has, you know, moved or flowed into these scenarios that we have that I've already talked about, right? And now you're also talking about my goodness, I think that the, the depth of all these things that you have mentioned are even episode worthy <laughs> because in as much as you are, you, are, you are navigating into these various skill sets, they are not ones that you are doing consciously. Like you are, you are, you are consciously navigating all these different dynamics of growing your network, even though people might say that, okay, you are just a connector, you are essentially saying that there's a, there's a bit of work that goes into that, and that's not because you wanted to grow, in, grow that skill set, but it's just something that has also, you know, become like a peripheral benefit to the entire networking exercise you've been on. Would, would you say that's the case? Yeah, I think that what people don't realize is that we live in a world that shadows some kind of um, equality in mm -hmm. treatment of people. But the truth mm -hmm. is that when I honestly see my best friend in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Say my mm -hmm. best friend needs to do uh, uh, a heart transplant and I have access to do that for the person. I mm -hmm. feel like the agency, and I think this is something that's just um, personal, right? The energy mm -hmm. for you to do that, or when your sister or your mother needs mm -hmm. that extreme transplant, the energy for you to change mm -hmm. um, like situations, or even go to a stand of donating one, is mm -hmm. much higher than when someone mm -hmm. that you do not know mm -hmm. word, um, comes up to you. And so, yeah. as much as we want to think that people 
will treat everyone equally. Mm -hmm. The fact is that people don't because yeah. of relationships. Yeah. And so I look at it from the perspective that if I felt sick today, but if I felt sick today, mm -hmm. who would be the friend who, who is a very good doctor that I can fall on and then just get some prescription like or get yeah. some medical advice without necessarily yeah. have to go to the hospital. That is yeah. how I look at it. If I had a if I had a if I had a legal case, mm. would there be someone and how you make sure that you're not becoming a burden is by mm. providing something to them so that yeah. it equalizes it. So I think yeah. that it makes sense for me to think about it that. Mm, it does. It really, it really does. And I think that for most recent graduates who are listening or people who are looking for work, I mean, this entire set of episodes, this, this, this series essentially is talking about helping people find work. And this about networking is something that we have not explored more for people to fully understand because we just throw the word out there like okay networking get to know net, you know people you go to events and they're like okay it's networking time and people don't know how to navigate such you know scenarios but you are saying that well i should even ask you that how how has it how has this entire exercise of yours, if I may, of getting to know people and offering value to them helped you find work, for example? Do you have scenarios or situations like that where the, you know, the, the benefits of the networking that you have embarked on has helped you find work? And for people who are, fe who are feeling that, so this is like a two-way question, and for people who are feeling that they don't know anybody that they could even offer their, their service to, offer value to for any form of exchange. What would you say they could start with? Uh, everything, I think every, every work I've gotten to do is because someone referred me. <laughs> yes, I've never done anything that I literally had to apply for, like in mm. that professional way. Because someone just referred me and the process just happened seamlessly. Because mm. usually what a referral means is that what mm -hmm. a referral usually means is that I trust this person to execute the job. Yeah. So accept him, essentially. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the reason why it is so is that the person who is asking for the referral to be done is mm -hmm. asking someone who they usually trust. So yeah. it is a scale of trouble of trust from the mm -hmm. person who needs something to be done mm -hmm. and the inter intermediary and you. So yeah. it traveled quite seamlessly because usually the trust is built between the first person and then mm -hmm. the intermediary, and yeah, then yeah. it travels to you. So if yeah. the same level of trust is there that you can get me somebody, and then I tell you that this is the person to do the job, it really <laughs> makes the process seamlessly. Yeah. 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 It makes the process quite seamless. So I think that is how um, it works. Mm -hmm. And so for me, if, I, if, if the people in my network, I, when I see some opportunity and I know someone, I go and say, hey, I know this person and he's interested in this role at your job. Would you consider um, looking at his CV and, and giving me a suggestion about how to go around the job application? That is in a way saying that this is my friend. If he comes, kindly look at his CV again, maybe twice than you look at normal. Yeah, yeah. 
So for people so, who don't who don't think they have even a network to begin with, how how would you? I I feel like you have to start building it. It's not too late to do that. You have to start doing it. You have to start just doing it. Like LinkedIn is such an underestimated platform. So I am building a technology product, right, called Vialy, and um, in our product roadmap, we are going to build a social media service as part of it. And so I yeah. spent a lot of time researching about social media and yeah. how social media communities are, are built. And I think mm -hmm. that one of the best social media platforms that were, was ever created is LinkedIn. Because yeah. the people on LinkedIn, I have some problem with LinkedIn about all the glory seeking and all the um, advertisements <laughs> of, um, yeah. Yeah. of laurels. However, the people on LinkedIn are very nice people and are always yeah. willing to help you. I mean, almost always, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you are someone there on LinkedIn, you have mm -hmm. to speak to these people. But you know, it all starts with creating value, creating content. Creating value doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a doctor in sharing tips. You mm -hmm. have to be telling your story, your experiences. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've seen that people who have nothing to say on LinkedIn do is that they reflect on their day. And the reflection mm -hmm. on their day can help someone see something in their day that they missed. And that is something that you can connect on. Mm. So there's always something to say, but you yeah. cannot go out and be seeking to give value when you have no value to give. But the mm -hmm. point is that you always have value to give, even in the daily life that you live, even in the yeah. challenges, even in telling your story. People see yeah. that and see that you are making an effort. Yeah. Because the effort of writing a LinkedIn post in itself is work. And you putting in our work and trying to break down your life, trying to analyze your life and give clarity of thought in your expression helps other people to do things for them. And that is one way that you can start bridging the gap and eventually reaching out to people. You know, mm -hmm. there's this article that I found. There's a lady called mm -hmm. uh, Fatima, I think. She's Gambian. She mm -hmm. used to work at Mazuma. Mazuma is a payment systems yeah. company. And I think Impact. She recently got mm -hmm. into She wrote an article about how she got into the job at Impact. And she was saying some very interesting things that what she would do is that she would scout for organizations that have not even put out rules yet and mm -hmm. then start speaking to HR personnel that mm -hmm. this is what I can give, this is my experience, I know I'm not good enough, but is it possible that you tell me about rules that may be open, opening soon in your company or in your organization? Mm -hmm. And yeah. because of that kind of connection, it's easier mm -hmm. for them to say, hey, we've opened a role. Kindly yeah. look to it if it fits you. And then yeah. go to and say, if it's possible, would you mind spending 20 minutes with me mm. or a coffee or something? And mm. I'd like to know more about the role beyond the job description. So mm. these are simple, simple things that you can do. It doesn't yeah. cost you anything, but you yeah. have to make um you have to make the effort because it always yeah. helps when you are when you know someone in the organization and it's not because of the whole bias and who you know yeah. can't be yeah. but it's yeah. because usually organizations are looking to fill the gap mm. and filling a gap for any organization means that some yeah. that's why the world has been created and that yeah. important thing no matter how meager in your eyes it seems structure of the organization it's very critical, and the failure of someone to execute may lead to replications of bigger um, and results than us. Yeah. On the other and of the company, 
So what they ask you um, to do is to validate yourself in the interview, that you are mm. the kind of person who can do that. Yeah. So they can erase the situation by this person has recommended this person, and because you can trust this person, then that mm. is one level than usual. For you to build that culture and be conscious around it. And yeah. I, I mean, networks have done a whole lot of things. Yeah. I, I would like to say. I have basically just leapfrog from one place to the other because I knew someone there or because I knew someone who I could say I knew. Just the relationship helps. Yeah. And how do you maintain those relationships from the first conversation? So it's, it's, it's easy for somebody to begin those conversations. You hit somebody up on LinkedIn or on any other social media platform. And then you have to follow up or you have to, it's more like a friendship building process. What are some of the tips or tricks you use to maintain um, such conversations or to keep the conversations going beyond the first conversation? If it's on LinkedIn, it's quite easy for me. If it's on LinkedIn, okay. you just follow the people's work. Mm. Contract. They wrote an mm. article, you read the article. And then you <laughs> to comment constructively on the article. And then they yeah. say that you are keeping up. You post, you yeah. like it. It's just quite easy. Yeah. You are keeping up with them. You are following their work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're not necessarily chatting them. And then once in a while you flirt you know, and say, how are you doing? And then mm -hmm. you give an update of what is going on in your life, some mm -hmm. progress. People mm -hmm. like to see progress. People okay. admire to see that. Because how egotistic that we are all being built, we want to attribute the success of others as vicariously um, something that we contributed to. Contributed to, yeah. So people yeah. would want to say, I know this guy and he's going places. And so yeah. you should want to be going places and you should just tell them about it and they'll be happy for you. And they'll yeah. be willing then to see mm. that because you're making the next step and obviously yeah. you're a young person and you need someone yeah. to carry you along the road. They'll be willing to be that yeah. person to carry you. It's that yeah. easy. So yeah. it doesn't have to be every day checking up on them, following mm. them on LinkedIn, um, yeah. and contributing to their work, commenting, once in a while yeah. checking up on them. Um, yeah. and, and just being someone that they can come to you for help. You mm. yeah. They can come to you for help. Make yourself yeah. known conspicuously yeah. that you are the guy that they should speak to when it comes to this. Like, oh, mm. if you need anything when it comes to this, I'm the guy. And then, yeah. and then when, when they have gotten to that point where they may need something in that particular field, you come to mind yeah. and you deliver because that is your yeah. point of seeing the relationship. You show yeah. yourself that you are the top-notch guy to do that thing. And that's it. You build a relationship that's going to go a lifetime. Wow. Wow. This is so good. So then, the, well, I have two more questions and then we would have to end today's session. Um, the, the first of those two is... I just want to give more practical steps. So let's say you meet somebody on another social media platform and you transition them to LinkedIn. I'm trying to, you know, describe the process and you let me know which, which of them you would do first. You meet them wherever you meet them and then you transition them to LinkedIn and follow them. Not just follow, like how we just follow, but you know, attentively follow their work and contribute. And then 
we can, you can message them from time to time to, you know, just check on them and, you know, get updated with what's, what they are going, what's, what's going on with them and they also for you. And then you can offer your value to them in those conversations or in any of those conversations. And when they do... Let me try and, let me try and come in there. Um, yes. So you meet a person at an event. You're not able to talk to him, let's imagine, because you are shy. Yes. The reason why text-based conversations is always good is because mm -hmm. you overcome the whole social, um, what do you call it? You know, the social interaction which may elicit some kind of fear in you, yeah. right? Yeah. So I get that. Mm -hmm. If you can, always mm -hmm. be purposeful about your conversations. If you can, always be purposeful about your conversations. If this is can. what I have seen. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you can, don't, don't press the button and just say hi, for example, and mm. expect them to respond. Mm -hmm. Some of these people mm -hmm. are people that are busy. Yeah. And the reason why I'm saying this is this. You know, when you're, you're seeking for mentorship, mm. it is always good that you keep people in your own age range and class. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, those people are not able to offer you anything. And that is a fact. Because yeah. they, more often than not, are in the same ranges of difficulty or life spanned that mm. the knowledge gap, if you are one of the best, you probably are at the top of your class. Like You are trying to keep up with everything. So you are probably the guy one is coming to. You cannot mm -hmm. have the same people as your friends and network who you are looking to go the next level with. It's just not mm. practical. Because mm -hmm. then... The whole thing about value gaps that I mm. talk about, you have, yes. you have missed it. Because obviously there's a gap in your life always. So the, the mm -hmm. one thing, I mean, I'm derailing from the question, but one thing is that your network has to transition. For like from every five years, you have to do a, a self-analysis and say, where am I going this and who are the people that I need to know before I get there? Mm. Like every five years or so. And you mm. have to totally, I mean, I do not mean you have to discard the people that you have. You have to still keep them, but you have to totally look after them a new set of people who are going to give yeah. a new set of opportunities that your current mm -hmm. network may not be capable of doing that anymore because you have just risen above, hopefully yeah. successfully, to those opportunities and you have scaled them and now you need to make the next level. And you mm -hmm. need new people, new mentors, new Yeah. yeah. You are, I'm hoping that you are going to speak to someone who is that new connector, someone mm -hmm. who is more accomplished than you are. So obviously they have Little time to dispense, so you should not do high hello. But yeah. you should comment. You read usually they they have a post or something. You say write your post about say um changing Africans landscape on this, and mm -hmm. I was really interested in this and this. Mm -hmm. I'll be I'll be very happy to talk about how then you, you, you put a very intelligent question there. Yeah. And then they are happy to talk about it because usually their passion is their yeah. life's work. It's something that they are doing. They are yeah. obviously always willing to talk about it. Yeah. So tell them something interesting they want to hear and something they want to advance a conversation on. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even have to know anything. You just have to show curiosity. I have I have seen people go walk out to you know people they've admired and say they actually disagree with some of the things they wrote in the articles. And I have seen yes. how yes. it lights up. 
the faces of these, you know, people, these celebrities, if you may, because they, they, they like the, the conversation it's bringing in, in that. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Yeah, because it's like every day they, they meet people who are like, oh, I, I like your work and oh, I like you. Oh, oh you're a great person. They don't want to see that anymore. Yeah. You really want to be that someone, they, they, you, want to, you want to be tactical in your approach. Yes. That you are, because there's some kind of value still that you're offering them, that yes. you're giving an opportunity to rethink yeah. or share their work. People yeah. are always happy to share their work, trust me. Everybody yeah. is willing to blow their trumpet all the time about yeah. something like that. Yeah. So when you give them an opportunity to do that, like I'm working on my project daily, and yeah. I mean, how I, how I, how I am, how I go about doing my business is that I'm very, very analytical and tactical about it. So I read a lot of research, publish mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. And I don't know these professors from anywhere. I shoot them messages on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I and then they are excited because I have some very specific questions about how their research connects to my work. And mm -hmm. then I shoot them a message. Obviously, some of them may not um, yeah. um, um, reply, which is something you should expect. It is yeah. very okay that someone doesn't reply you. It's fine. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they don't even, you send them a connection, they don't even mind you, and that is fine. But the ones that do, People will do it and they say, yes, um, uh, I'll be happy to, you, you tell them that you want to do A, B, C, be specific and direct. Mm -hmm. You want to do stuff. Don't leave room for vagueness. Yes. Tell them that I want, I'm, I'm interested in discussing this with you. Would you be happy to do that? And they say, yes. Mm -hmm. And then you say a Zoom call at this time or what time will they be available? And yeah. I have so many people I do not know who could potentially become one of my company eventually. Yeah. All because I show them messages from nowhere. Like mm -hmm. I just literally read their, read their paper. Mm -hmm. And then I did um, I've seen people do something very nice. Mm -hmm. that when someone looks at their profile mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, they are proactive enough to go back and say, hey, my name is Isaac. I see mm -hmm. you look at my profile. Is there mm -hmm. anything I can help you with? Mm. And that really puts people in the same, because sometimes people are just watching your profile because of something, yeah. right? and they are on show. And you want to clarify it for them. You want to make them certain mm. that you are the guy. So yeah. I am this person, I am that person. Can I do anything for you? And they're like, oh, I was just looking at your profile. Mm. Oh, are you proactive? You get people's attention because more often than not, when you get people's attention, they are going to listen to you. Yeah. And you get people's attention by doing the unusual things, and that is one unusual thing. No, yeah. you don't see people um, texting you or sending you a message quite politely, mm. showing a curiosity about you trying to know about them. Mm. You don't see that a lot. And that, that is one way to break the gap in forming a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We literally have three minutes. And my last question is for somebody who is starting from scratch, it's like we they've listened to you talk about all these amazing things they can do to you know get started and they're asking themselves okay so feeling clueless you're in a pandemic there are lots of things not moving you don't have a lot of money it's like you're in a really tight sport but you've been you know you've been motivated to do something what's the one thing you're going to tell someone like that who has all these good, great plans on their mind, but is still feeling like inertia, is just feeling the inertia to start or get moving? What's the last, like, what's the one thing you're going to tell somebody who, you know, is still between passionate about doing something and actually doing it? What, what's, what's the one thing you're going to tell them? More often than not, I struggle to 
give these kind of advice because <laughs> there is there is a there's a distance, a huge one between I am in the thinking phase of wanting to do something, which is literally everybody on the planet Earth. Everybody's like, oh, I want to do this thing. Yeah. And then there is a problem where you're actually doing it. Mm. And I think that the personal responsibility lies on the individual to say that I want to move from thinking and actually doing. Yeah. So I do not know what exactly I can say to motivate anybody than to say, mm-hmm. analyze your life and, and, and ask yourself, do I really want to do this? Mm-hmm. And if I keep on being in this phase of thinking and planning, would I ever be able to lift this thing off the ground? Mm. If you see that you're wasting your time, if you see that obviously you told yourself you're going to do it in the next two weeks and next one month and you are still missing your gap, then you should look back to yourself and mm. then say that I am wasting my time and I better get this thing done. Yeah. Because you have to move, um, you have to move yourself to action. Yeah. I think that people who usually wait for people to move them to action mm. are people who may get stuck in the road when there's no way to do that. And yeah. so one of the things that you can start doing now is actually learning how to move yourself to action when no mm. one is. Because yeah. the journey towards a lot of these things are lonely, especially when you feel like you're not going to get a job and all of that, and you don't think anybody cares about you. Yeah. So you better start doing something now than mm. later because every single thing that you do counts. That is the most important thing. No matter how minute they are, it counts. Mm. So yeah. you just make sure that you are doing the very small things because mm. what comes are behavior and eventually our attributes are compendium of daily minute nuances of activities that we take. Mm. And that is why it's important for us to do those things. So mm. just take one step at a time, but knowing that every step counts and it is better for you to do, say, one push-up a day than to wait and do 100. Because mm. eventually if you waste 100 days, that's 100 push-ups that you've missed. wasted, yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. I I enjoyed this episode. I'm hoping all of our listeners did enjoy it and are going to send their feedback. I'm I'm literally going to expect a lot of questions for you, especially Isaac, um, with some of the mentioned and I'm hoping we can have another episode on another topic because I mean you're a loaded person, so <laughs> So uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to another episode when you have the time. And well, I just want to say thank you for making the time to join us, to speaking, you know, blatantly as you always do, and sharing your thoughts. Okay, thank you very much, Diana. Um, for everyone who is listening, my name is Isaac Kojo Yedenu Abua. Isaac, obviously everyone can spell Kojo K O J O. Yedenu is Y E D O N U. And Abwa is A B O A H. You can find me on LinkedIn, which yeah. is my most active social media network. <laughs> right, right. Thank you, Isaac. Hey there. Thank you so much for showing up for this episode. I personally want to hear your thoughts on the topic, so feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram and Twitter at T H E D S A G B E N Y O. Talking of Instagram, I share some pretty amazing thoughts whispering quotes on there. So feel free to download some so you can look deep <laughs> in front of your followers online. Thank you so much. I'll be looking forward to your feedback and talk soon.